Let's make a deal. You pay me $1,000, and I will make your doors unlock at the touch of a button. If you quote like this, you're going to lose money and reputation. So, should you make some money just for showing up? How does your size up of the property affect the final quote? And do you just quote really high if it is sight unseen? I can quote you one thing right now. I'm Tyler J. Thomas, together with Jeff Moss and handsome Jim Coleman. We are the Three Tumblers. Take a second and think back to your younger years. If someone offered you a job where you could potentially make thousands of dollars, but first you had to pay them money, would you take it? That's essentially the chance us locksmiths take when someone calls us and asks to come out and quote a job. So I think it, there's, there's three philosophies on this that I've seen locksmiths do. Number one, they charge for quotes. Number two, they don't charge for quotes. Number three, they're somewhere in the middle where they'll charge for quotes, and if the quote is accepted, they'll back that out of the final quote total. So I, I can see the merits to each of them. Personally, we don't charge for quotes, whether it's one door or 1,000 doors. It's just kind of embedded into the cost of doing business, and we'll make it up. You know, We're, we're restricted keyways, high-end high master key systems, stuff like that. It, it's made up on residuals, so... Your mileage may vary compared to us. Tim, in uh, South Carolina, how, how do y'all approach quoting? Again, I don't know how they do it in South Carolina, but up here in North Carolina, just north of the border, uh, at the shop I work for, we don't charge for quotes. Uh, we'll go out and, you know, if it's within an acceptable distance of our shop, we'll go out for free and quote the quote the property quote the job um if is something that's kind of way out there from us you know like it's going to be an hour and a half job or hour and a half drive just to get there then we try to find a way to make it worth our while in other words we might contact one of our distributor or manufacturer reps and see if they'll drive us because we also get free lunch normally in the course of doing that. Uh, but um, no, we, we don't charge for quotes. I do know of a couple locksmiths in the area that will charge for a quote and then deduct that money's paid for that quote from the final invoice. Um, I, I wouldn't, personally, I would not pay somebody who is local just to come out to my house or my business just to quote me for something. That's a, that's another good point too, uh, or reminded me of something is that sometimes people will offer free quotes, uh, but they will kind of tentatively schedule it the next time they're in the area. So you want to quote on this job. Okay. It may be a week or two weeks before I'm in that area for a job, but I will swing by after it because I'm nearby and kind of give it to you on the house or give you a, a free quote. Uh, so that's another, I guess, fourth philosophy. Jeff and uh, beautiful Cleveland, how, do you, how, how does your company approach quotes? It depends. Some stuff we charge, some stuff we don't. You know, but we do, if we do charge, we almost always, we only charge, we're going back and we're doing the work. We're not going to charge them another service call. 
So, you know, it depends on the situation. If it's somebody that's probably not going to use us and is just kicking the tires and wasting our time, then we would probably charge them for a service call to go out and look at it. Gotcha. So it sounds like we're pretty much all on the same page with our philosophies. Here's another wrench to throw in. When you're doing work for a national service provider, especially on not to exceed jobs, if you clearly see that the work is going to exceed what you've been giving, you kind of have to quote on the fly, give it to them. And if parts are required, you're going to have to go back. Now, I, I would say that national service providers, in my opinion, don't necessarily deserve any special treatment because you're having to expend labor and time to go out there. And if you have to go out there again, you should charge a second service call because it's not your fault, not your customer directly. Uh, so you're not necessarily prepared for what hardware they have on hand. Tim, do y'all do any work for national service providers, NSPs? And if so, how, how do you handle when something obviously needs to be quoted? Maybe it's more uh, involved than was originally told or discussed with you, and you're going to have to come back and you're going to have to provide parts. Oh, God, yes. We we do NSP work all the time. And, and there are some NSPs that I don't mind doing for. One of them's actually a slight competitor of yours, but uh, you know it, it's one of those things where they they set an NTE, and you look at the distance that we're gonna have to drive, and say their NTE is one seventy five, and our trip charge to the location is you know one fifty. That's giving you $25, which is probably about a fifth of an hour of labor uh, to go out there. So your your entire MTE is eaten up by driving there and then seeing what the hell's the problem, what's going on. And by that time, you have to call back and say, okay, here's what the problem is. You owe me $175 right now here's what it's going to cost to do all this. And I'm not going to be able to do it today. So, yeah, I mean, we, we deal with that and we have done that before and to their credit, most NSPs are okay. As long as you call them and you update them on things and say, this is exactly what I'm going to need. And you're able to give them that quote. Uh, most of the time they will, they will up that. Like I was on a job just the other day that I'll talk about a little bit later, but it was an, an NSP job and I get there and my regular tricks didn't work and I was going to have to replace the hardware that was on the door. And I called them. Now it took like 15, 20 minutes of phone calling and getting transferred and waiting for approval and everything. Uh, but yeah, I got got the NTE increase, but I had to give them a, an exact dollar amount, which meant before I even called them, I had to go through and put in my invoice in Service Fusion, all the parts and labor and everything necessary, and then call them and give them that amount. So, you know, I, I think that definitely if they give you an initial NTE that barely covers your trip charge, 
then just use that as a pricing for a quote. So what you're saying is that you had to acquiesce? I, I They had to acquiesce to me. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> Jeff, you've worked for an NSP, and now you work for somebody that works with NSPs. What can you kind of reveal behind closed doors or shadows that might help Loxness out as far as navigating not to exceed NTEs or just quoting NSPs in general? I had nothing to do with that stuff, so I have no inside information. All I did was make the computers work, so. Yeah, fair enough. But at your shop, uh, you obviously work with NTEs or NSPs, correct? Not me, because I'm, I mean. Well, your company works with yeah. NSPs. Okay. Yeah, but I don't really handle any of the specifics. No, I see. Other than, you know, boxes of parts coming in and making sure that stuff, you know, matches up. But I'm, yeah. I, just kind of on a semi-related tangent, I, I'm not going to throw the, the NSP under the bus, but there's one NSP that requires you to maintain inventory of used parts that you pull off the door and replace. Do either of you know who I'm talking about? Don't name them. But number two, do you follow those instructions? A, what the fuck? And no, I've never dealt with them. <laughs> Jeff, do you yeah. know who I'm talking about? Nope. Oh, okay. All right, good. We'll we'll, we'll move on. Does anybody, <laughs> does anybody have any that's, final That's points? fucking stupid. I mean, they want you to, to inventory what parts you take off the fucking door? You, yeah. you'll, ha you'll have to tell us who it is when we're done. Okay, I'll do that. But yeah, uh, the, the thought is, is that at any point, they can audit or call for an audit to make sure you still have it on site. And if required, send it back. No, fuck you. Yeah. That was old shit that got pulled off the door and replaced, obviously, for good reasons. Right. Fuck if you. you if you want it back, you send us a label. Yeah. Exactly. Pay for shipping, send us a label, and, and we'll put it in a box and send it to your ass. Otherwise, no, it went in the trash. Yeah, I'll uh kind of go beyond this a little bit. Uh, as far as I guess we do kind of sort of function as a national service provider. Uh, we have uh, customers in about nine states now that we do work for. One that we do work for or on behalf of does include NTEs. And frankly, we don't care. Uh, we never tell any of our contractors because, number one, we don't dictate prices. Uh, we, we tell them charge whatever and we'll bill whatever and we never ask for an NTE. The second one has a very generous NTE. I mean, decent four figures. And when you can tell it's going to be something big, even uh, even the, the subcontractors that we use, the other locksmith companies, they know, hey, this is going to be pretty involved. How about a quote first? And then you know, we get to that point. So I, I hate NTEs. I understand why they're in place, but uh, I don't follow them. Anyways, did we get your hopes up? down. Up next, Tim is going to be a downer. Then give you an upper.
Everyone has had that situation in life where they say, it's not me, it's you. But do we ever give or receive that in the right way? Like we talked about in the last episode, performing a size up is crucial to every job and that it directly relates to money. So when it comes to jobs, do you quote low and then disappoint by charging more for things you didn't see at first? Or do you quote high and then impress by doing the job more efficiently and charging less? You know, when you go to quote a job, do you, do you quote it to get the job or do you quote it based on reality? If you get there and you can kind of tell there might be a few things that you need to do extra to make whatever the customer wants work. Uh, but you, you really want to get the job. Do you quote it attractively or are you just yourself and say, this is going to be a pain in the ass lady and quote really high because that's what you're going to charge at the end of it. You know, if, if you quote high and then come down low, your customer's really going to love you. If you quote high and your customer approves it and you charge high, they're going to pay you because they approve the quote. So in that point of view, you it's kind of a win-win. You, you either build a good customer relationship because you told them what it was going to take in order to get the job done, or you build a customer relationship because you told them what you thought was going to take, the, take to get the job done, but it didn't take quite that much. So you saved them a little bit of money. On the other hand, if you tell somebody that, oh, it's only going to be a couple hundred bucks to do this, and then you come out at the end of the job and everything's working great, and you say, yes, that'll be $2,000, please, you're not going to get any friends out of that job. Jeff, what do you think about quoting to get the job versus quoting reality? I mean, you got to quote reality and be honest, you know. It's not my business. I can't just quote them a low price to make to say that that we can do it. You know, that's basically, I would say that's a scammer thing. You charge say it's 20 bucks, and then when you get there, it's actually 220 bucks. You know, we would never, you know, we would not do that. If there's an issue and it ends up that, you know, we get out there, we look at it, and it's gonna be more, then obviously we tell the customer and we get approval before we actually do it. You know, if if we're going off of pictures or off of something that they sent in, you know, we'll say this is an estimate only based on what we've been given. Uh, price may increase when we go out in the field. And people understand that. And and you just actually asked uh, or made the point what I was going to ask Tyler. Uh, Tyler, there in Alabama, what do you do as far as writing your quotes? Because I know you write quotes out. Do you ever put on there, this price may fluctuate up or down based on the reality of the situation? If we've got firsthand knowledge of it, if we were the ones that surveyed it, usually no, because we quote according to how we think things are going to be, and we're pretty right with it. But when subcontracting out of state, for example, I always pad it with you know a few hundred, maybe $500 and say, hey, look, this is sight unseen. We're going off of somebody else's work. It could be more. We don't know their pricing structure. So, you know, here's sort of a worst case scenario to set a PO at. Likely 
almost likely it's going to come in under that, but I just want you to be prepared for it if it doesn't. Yeah, I had a job recently. It was a, a commercial office location. And basically they had one door closer that was shot and a couple others that needed adjusting and some door work, some lever swap outs, et cetera. Just a bunch of really miscellaneous stuff. And I did a walkthrough, went back to the shop and within a day or two, I got them a, a quote sent out. And, you know, we have, like we talked about in the pricing episode, uh, we have itemized labor in addition to our parts. And I put down like five hours of miscellaneous labor and detailed under that, that, you know, this was for this, 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 and this, you know, A, B, C, and D. And I also put a note in there based on what it takes to correct these issues, this rate may go up or down. I will notify you at time of service. And I think that's pretty fair to, to say, you know, just by looking at it, not by touching it, but by looking at it in person, you know, this may go up or down. And I think doing stuff like that goes, goes a long way. Tyler, to, to further on that point, you know, honesty with your customers on labor and materials. You know, obviously materials are pretty set. Uh, labor is what can fluctuate on quotes because you can have itemized labor for say an exit device install, but you get there and even if you looked at the door yourself beforehand, there are things that can can pop out because you don't take the existing device off the door uh, to look at stuff. You know, hey, there there's always uh, a monkey to pop out of the wood pile, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jeff says, um, yeah, but we're, I, I hate to keep using this excuse, but we're odd ducks where we make, we can make that up or afford to make that up on the residuals. They're locked into our keyway or keyways. And yeah, I'm, I'm eating $200 or $2,000 on the onset, but 20, 30, 40 years from now, I'm making that back. So I don't mind it as much. Everybody's not in that particular situation. I understand that, but I'm, I'm not more concerned about it than what maybe others would maybe concerned about it more than I am. I'm not, you know, I fucked up. Uh, I lost my ass $2,000, $3,000 on a job, but I've got them locked into a keyway. So the residuals are going to pay me over time and I'll make it back and uh, hopefully learn my lesson. So right. yeah, you're, you're making it up in volume. Yeah. Yeah. And going back to what uh, we were talking about earlier, as far as uh, quoting just to get the job, I will do that, and I am doing that right now uh, just to lock customers in because, like I said, I know the residuals are going to pay. So uh, we're working on a job right now for $1,500 uh, 1500 cores. Uh, I'm not going to sell it to them at list. I'm going to sell it to them half off list because my discount's a little bit more than that. So I'm going to be making a little bit of profit on the sale of hardware, but I know the residuals over 10, 20, 30 years is going to more than pay for that markup of a hundred percent. It's going to go way beyond that. So I don't mind taking the hit at the beginning, knowing that it locks them in and locks this relationship in to where we're servicing them for 10, 20, 30 years. I'm going to make a shit ton of money. So I don't need to make the most out of the gate. 
I'll be happy to make very little out of the gate, knowing that I can establish that relationship and now build on it for 10, 20, 30 years. But aren't you taking a risk if the person in charge of purchasing uh, gets replaced by somebody who has a buddy that does the same thing that you do? And five years from now, they decide that they're not going to use you anymore. They're going to go to another place. They can do that, but with the medical contracts, they can't make arbitrary reasons for it. We have to de either deny them service or not be responsive in service for someone else to take our keyway. And if obviously we're very responsive, so then their only option going forward is to switch the keyway, which is going to be very cost prohibitive. They're going to have to replace all the cores or at least the plugs to get on somebody else's keyway. So I'm not worried about that it's down the road. If somebody wants to do that, that's fine. But the, the costs associated with it, um, uh, their boss ain't going to approve it. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Right. I mean, I had a, uh, the kind of what brought that up uh, yesterday had a uh, customer that was just up the street from us uh, called and they were having some issues with a, a Adams right storefront door lock. And in short, the uh, Medico X, X4 uh, cylinder that they had is provided by one of our competitors. Uh, the, the cam broke off the back of it. Uh, and I said, look, you can either call the, the locksmith shop who installed this originally, who services your keys, et cetera, because it was on not just that location, but it was a locally franchised location. And I said, they can put this in, or I can put in just a standard Schlag C, or I can put in, you know, some different key. I, I could have sold them our dealer base key. I could have sold them our Medico X4, whatever it was, I could have done it. And they probably would have paid for it at that time. And they said, yeah, we just, we don't care. We don't want to use their keys anymore. So, I mean, I, and Tyler, I know what you deal with is a larger volume base. It's not going to be two cylinders on a little restaurant. Jeff, with, uh, you're dealing with customers and you're being honest with them about labor and materials. Again, materials are pretty straightforward, but doing stuff in the shop you know somebody can bring in like a, a steering column or an antique lock or something like that and you know are are you more likely to quote high and then charge low or do you just give it to them honestly and say hey i'll have this done with two hours of labor no i mean we give them price range and if it's going to be more i'll call them and tell them hey it's going to take longer this is what i you know this is what it's worth this is what it's going to cost to do it and yeah kind of what we do is is you know with people bringing stuff into the shop you know gumball machines and and vending machines and stuff like that we give them a range so i, th I think that's the fair way to do it say you're looking at anywhere between x and double x amount of dollars yeah Have you ever been on a blind date? Maybe you've been on a date where you wished you were blind. No, I have. Up next, Jeff will share his secrets of the sight unseen.
Sometimes locksmith thing can be like a blind date. You get that random social media message with just a vague profile picture, then it turns into a chat, and before you know it, you're meeting at the Applebee's down the street. But when you get there and see your date from across the room, you suddenly wish you had sent your high school photo instead of a current one and not shaved in the last three days. Locksmiths have these moments too, so how do you deal with it? Well, we get a lot of phone calls. Do you make keys? Yes. Do you make car keys? Yes. What kind of vehicle is it? Year, make, and model, all that stuff. I always tell people the best thing to do is either is bring it in. Even if they send a picture, there's FCC IDs and chips that need to be read. And bringing it in is the best bet. Um, same thing with other stuff. You know, I have a broken lock on my front door. Okay. What kind of lock? Well, you know, it's round. It's got a lever. It's got this, this. Do you have any pictures? No. Why would I do that? So it always makes things easier. And I, I certainly can't think of pictures making anything more difficult. <laughs> Tim, Tyler, you know, I know you're not doing nearly, you know, as much shop stuff, but your thoughts? You know, I've, I am slowly becoming the safe guy in our shop and having pictures is worth a thousand words because people ask all the time you know hey can you help me with this well it, it depends um i'm only at a a very certain certainly basic level of safe servicing and i need to know what it is so before i waste the time of going out to that location to look at that safe with my own two eyes if i get a picture of it then i can say yes or no as to if i help with that uh but yeah i mean pictures will always help but like you said any chance that we get to tell a customer say hey bring it into our shop we're we're lucky we have a storefront and if we can get the customer to bring it into our shop and look at it we can give them a much better price range and and i'll tell people that over the phone all day long uh, especially when it comes to you know locking containers uh antique locks automotive i don't touch automotive but i'll always say hey bring it in this is when our automotive tech is going to be in the shop and you know she can give give a look at it and tell you how much it's going to be for sure Tyler? Yeah, I, I don't know how locksmiths function before smartphones. I mean, I kind of got in at the very beginning, so it was easy to take a picture with your phone and send it email or text or whatever. I, I couldn't even fathom how to operate a business knowing how much I rely on those pictures, cell phone pictures. Uh, God, I, I, I'm just fortunate I don't have to deal with it. Oh, absolutely. So when somebody brings in a weird lock that you're Think you might be able to make a key for it, but you're not sure how do you quote that well i would sort of figure what our normal labor hour rate is and maybe you know estimate if it's going to take me a half hour altogether if it's you know even serviceable you know i usually tell people hey a new lot costs this much it's really not worth doing this unless you have you know a bunch of locks that are keyed alike and you know it's the same key you know, I wouldn't say it's really antique stuff. It's just like, you know, master padlocks and somebody finds something sitting around that they haven't had a key for in 20 years. Generally, it's not worth it 
if you only have one lock, buy a new lock and go on with your day. You know, it, it depends if you, we really want to do the work. If we're so, if we're busy and we know it's not getting to get done for a while, you know, we might charge a little, tell them it's going to cost more and it's going to take longer. And if they still want to do it, okay, but we're not going to drop everything we're doing for it. You know, it, it just, once you do it for a while, you sort of figure out and every shop, I guess, is a little bit different. Um, friend of mine moved to Seattle was telling me that she went and got some keys made to the locksmith doesn't even do service calls anymore. They only are open in shop. So they just have a stat like Tyler with established customers that bring stuff in and that's, you know, that's all they do. They don't want to do service calls. So I guess it, it just sort of depends, you know, on, on how you want to do it. You got, what do you, what are your thoughts? And Tyler, you're not really doing, I guess if somebody wanted to, have some sort of special lock figured out or some weird application. I mean, you guys. Well, here's a thought that you, you were bringing this up and it got me thinking, quoting a job way high. So you don't have to deal with it. And, and we're guilty of that. Sometimes we don't want to touch it, but if we're going to touch it, we're going to make it way worth our while. So with the weird locks, whatever that may be, we go way above because we don't really want to touch it. But if they say, yeah, that's fine. Money's no object. It's like, all right, well, we're going to make good money on this. Yeah. Tyler, I've done that. And my reaction when they say, yeah, well, I guess we're going to go ahead and bite the bullet and do it. I'm like, fuck, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely been some of those. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jeff, like what you were saying, you know, if it's if it's something weird, I will give a starting price uh, like for for old gumball machines or something like that. You know, I'll say, look, I'm going to have to find a key blank for this. I'm going to have to see, you know, if I don't have a standard key for this, then I'm going to have to see how much it's going to be. This is what you're starting at. You know, this is the fee to pick it and remove the cylinder to where you can get to you know, the money, the gumballs, whatever. This is where we're going to start. I will call you when I have a better idea of what it's going to be, but this is what your starting price is, and it will only go up from there. So you sort of set expectations, but also you need to call your customers and and say, hey, this is what we're looking at. Well, trust me, they better not. They, after some of the gumball machines I've seen, they don't want the gumballs. We, we've got one in the shop that I picked, uh, finally picked it open yesterday. I started in the morning and then finished when I got back from all my runs for the day. And uh, my co-worker said, yeah, the woman said you don't want to eat the gumballs. They're like 25 years old. Fuck yeah, that, I'd eat them. I don't eat gum. <laughs> all right. Well, you know, like I said, every shop is different. Everybody does their things a little bit differently, but we all sort of have a common goal. Uh, well, while Tim's at the Applebee's bar trying to flirt and get a date, Tyler and I are going to quote you our spare parts of the week next. Between me charging for admission, Tim writing Dear John letters, and Jeff's blind dates, I'm ready for a break. So, let's grab a spare part. Handsome Tim! All right, guys. So 
I'm going to show you to my nuts. I know we're, we're pretty good friends, but I've never shown you my nuts before. These nuts I actually just got yesterday. I had a job where I had to drill out a uh, coin box on a laundromat dryer. You can see these nuts right here, these nuts. I was blind drilling for the screws and you can see where my drill bit centered on, just estimating. Doing the uh, scientific wild ass guess or swag method, I managed to hit the screws dead on, as you can see. Jeff, I will send you a picture of these nuts to post on our Twitter. <laughs> Thank you, that, that made my day. It was, uh, hey, you're dead on these nuts. Y'all really, really like these nuts, don't you? Cafe. Yeah, Worked on a pretty cool old Buick this week, and I posted a picture online. Somebody said it looks exactly like the trunk that they put the guy's body in at Goodfellas. So, you know, old cars in the 70s where the car was like half trunk. Guy needed keys made for it. He only had a key for the ignition. So we actually had to, we had to open the glove box, and it was old enough that the code was still on it once you pulled the plug out and made a key, and it worked the doors and the trunk perfectly for being almost 50 years old. Watch this, guys. I'm going to make Jeff cuss. Before they put the guy in the truck, what did he say? I don't remember which one. of. It, oh, yeah, I, I think you do. He said something to Joe Pesci's character. Get your fucking shine box. There you go. <laughs> it was back when the cars were longer than cold weather and the doors were eight feet thick. Yeah, fuck, I don't have a spare part. Uh, uh, Medico's gotten really good with uh, as far as getting uh, materials out. So I guess their supplier is back out and handling things. And I'm happy. Here's hoping because I know you haven't been too happy. Yeah. As always, if you have any hate mail or love letters for us, write them on the back of a $20 bill and email it. I don't know how the fuck you email a $20 bill to 3tumblerspod at gmail.com or tag us. No, no, tag us. Follow us on Twitter at the number three tumblers pod. Now, I see we're getting hundreds of, of, of listeners a week. I need more followers at the number three tumblers pod. Executive producer, that's me, Tyler J. Thomas. Technical producer is Jeff Moss. Writer and editor is handsome Tim Coleman. Tim's life coach, Amanda Hug and Kiss. The regional director of Atlanta is Frank Lee Scarlett. And our chief legal counsel, and I'm going to fuck this up as I always do, Hugh Lewis Dewey of Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. Otherwise known as bookies as Huey Louie Dewey. Didn't fuck it up. You didn't fuck it up. My name's Jeff. His name? Jeff. This has been a Three Tumblers production, season one. Copyright 2023, all rights reserved. Find this episode and others wherever you get your podcasts.